On this episode of the How To Hobby Podcast, we dive into the world of entertainment with a professional conductor. Join us as we find out what it takes to make it big in the world of touring entertainment. If you think you have a story that we'd like to feature on the How To Hobby Podcast, please reach out to us at howtohobbypodcast at gmail.com or through our website, howtohobbypodcast.com. Hello and welcome to the How To Hobby Podcast. I'm your host, John Power, joined by my co-host, Sean Bennett, tonight, and we have a special guest. It's another one of our segments that you guys have been waiting for, where we interview a professional in their field, somebody who's taken their passion to the next level. Something that Sean and I, we just, we're serial hobbyists. We, we can't do it. But tonight, I, it is my pleasure to introduce the maestro of San Diego, Taylor Peckham. Welcome to Platform How to Hobby. First of all, it's about time you read my resume. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> I put it at the top since I got started, and you were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And finally, I'm hearing it. Okay. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me, John. Uh, welcome to the show. I, I'm glad to have you here tonight. I know Sean is too. I saw that you had a little bit of the good stuff next to you, which I got to focus on first. You, you got some kombucha. You're, you're a man out of San Diego, well-read, well-traveled, but you're back in San Diego. What, what flavor of kombucha is that tonight we're rocking? Oh my God. <laughs> the bar is so high right now. Up. Yeah. We're starting at a 10, and I can't believe it. Like, if I had fired this up on a plane, I'd go, where Where could they go? Where could they go from here? John, save some for the people who paid. Okay? Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of kombucha, and when I heard that you had some stirring around in that glass next to you, I could not even... You think I'm going to move on from that for a second? I'm glad you didn't. This is... This is John, get ready. This is Synergy. Oh, raw, raw kombucha, baby. And this is a trilogy. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Wait, is it is it from a can? Can or a bottle? No, I bought it in a big bottle. Oh, I know. I All went right. in. I went that in. That is I got my it. favorite GT flavor. And I'm not joking. But, Taylor, let me blow your mind tonight. Hit How it. I just blew that right off the top with the kombucha in your face. You, you were like, what is this man doing? Well, there's a flavor I want you to try tonight. And listeners, okay. if you haven't tried it, it comes out once a year. It's the fall GT Dave flavor. I call him GT Dave. I don't know. I don't think it, I don't think that's his name. I kind of mix Dave Killer Bread and GT. Uh, but anyway, it's what's, the fall what's flavor. GT? That's the... GT is the uh, kombucha maker. Oh, the one that I'm having now. The one that makes synergy. Okay, cool. (laughs) Oh, my. Okay. Well, anyway, listeners, go out there. Try yourself some kombucha. We don't get paid (laughs) to say this. (laughs) Check to see if your neighbors are making some and just grab it. Just go in. Just We love it. it. It's absolutely amazing. All right, so that's that's about as good as an intro can go. Thank you for having me, you guys. Sean, 
and John, it's been a pleasure. I'll see you next time. That's so <laughs> sweet of you. What? Oh, there's more. Okay, got it. That's that's right. We're here to talk about everything Taylor tonight. You are a professional musician. You have toured around the country with the off-Broadway cast, Jersey Boys. People come to see that show 25, 50, 60 times in their life. And you were there to see that experience. What was it like? And how long were you were you on tour with that show? Well, it's nice of you to tell the audience this because I saw John Power at Jersey Boys zero times. So let's keep track of all this. Shots um, fired. <laughs> I am yeah. sorry well, about that, sir. Yeah, well, it is too late. So I was on the road with Jersey Boys for about three and a half years. And all told, I uh, performed the show about a thousand times. Holy the, the moly. Last, the last tally was like 979 or something. So it was pretty close to a thousand. Um, and getting to, I, I actually didn't go to college. I'm the least educated person on this podcast, probably, and also listening. But I... Uh, kind of think of my touring time as my college time because it was just about four years and I got to feel like I was kind of experiencing the real world and seeing all these funny states and cool towns and, you know, meeting all these people. And it was such a great experience and, and something that I know there are a lot of people who are still touring into their 50s and 60s. These people just live on the road. And I know wow. that that is not going to be for me. But I was very thankful that I got the chance to do it when I did, especially at that point in my life. It was, it was an incredible experience. How yeah. old were you when you started? Was it straight out of high school? Or did it take you some time to kind of figure out what you wanted to do? It was a little after. I think it was, I graduated in 2009. And I think I went on the road with Jersey Boys in 2014. So I think I was 23 or something like that, whatever the math is. But I think it was, I think it was 23 when I went on the road. Yeah. Wow. Good. Uh, and it sounds like it just lined up perfectly to bring you into that next stage of, a, of adulting where you became a man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Talk, talk about that more, John. <laughs> well, I don't know. This is this is your show tonight, so. Oh, it is. Okay. Maybe I, maybe it wasn't as uh, cheesy as that, but yeah, I'm no, going I, on the listen, road, being away. Listen, I. It was that cheesy. I'm basically. What's what's the name? So they have sommelier. I'm like a fromagier. I <laughs> love cheese. I love it, John. So never apologize for bringing cheese to this conversation. It's always welcome. I will say uh, one thing that I walked away from the touring experience with was I didn't know getting into this <clears throat> that you have to file your taxes in every Ooh. state you play. Good Lord. So I got to the end of the first season and we had done, you know, something like I want to say it, it It wasn't a full year. It was maybe five months or so. And in that five months, we played, you know, 18 states or something. And 
so I get to the end and I'm like, oh, I'll just, I had only used something like TurboTax, not, not a sponsor, um, but to file my taxes before. And I had gotten to the end of filing this thing on free TurboTax and it went, LOL, you got to pay us before you file all this BS. So I, <laughs> nope. I then ha- had a friend um, whose dad is a CPA. And I called them and I went, please help me. And even though I'm not touring anymore, I don't touch my taxes, man. It was, that was an adulting life lesson for me was pay someone to do it right. And boy, do I. Yeah. Well, and you're probably making more. I still have not taken that step myself, but I probably need to. Uh, Maybe we'll we'll do a, a whole deep dive into the world of finding yourself a CPA one day. But right now... George We're going to keep it on, on George the George Dahl, La Mesa. Look him up. D-A-L-L, George Dahl, CPA. George Look him up. Dahl. Rates are good. Sweet as can be. Oh Ann Hickok in his office is my hero. Go for it. Get him. Well, you just blew the roof off his place. So, listeners, uh, make it happen. You know what to do. <laughs> Dahl is the man. Make it happen. Get him, get him his Christmas bonus. We're talking about that right now. He needs, he needs your taxes. I'll get him his fully, Christmas bonus. Fully just... admit, I'm writing his name down right now. <laughs> my brother, my brother is in the film industry, and he doesn't have the multiple states, but he, you know, will end the year with twenty or thirty different, you know, ten ninety nines from every show Jeez. that he was on, and it's a nightmare because he also has gear at the same time, and that comes in as a different tax rate because it's not income; it's you know a, a kit, uh, kit fee. So. Yeah, I'm going to have to look him up. But I did Gosh. not realize that when you tour, you have to file in different states. That makes me wonder if like every rock band we've ever seen or any of the other performances are also having to do that. That's crazy. It depends on how they structure their income because some of them are incorporated. So uh, there are different rules about getting paid and what's taxable and what's not and all these. But uh, but yeah, yeah. getting Handing over an envelope just with all the stuff in it and going... Call me when it's ready. That is as good as it gets. <laughs> wow. Well, that's, I mean, this is what our show is all about. We love is it? packing. <laughs> well, <laughs> what, I, what I mean by that is packing our listeners with value. You know, they may be wanting to go into the world of being a musician, a trap. Like for some people, touring is like the end all be all. But this is one of those not again, I'm not going to call it a dirty secret, but you don't just go in knowing that you're going to get taxed uh, from every state you play. So that again, this is a little nugget there, listeners. Just just uh, pack it away, back pocket. It's it's not a it's it's just something to to take away from this episode. Thank you, Taylor, for sharing that. Now it's my honor. Uh, we we appreciate your transparency tonight, sir. So we're this this segment again is all about taking your passion to the next level. So this I again I know a little bit. We've been buds for a good while here uh, from San Diego, the San Diego Theater days. We, we're it's it's such a fun thing to still be your comrade and now have you on the show. I mean I'm just this is it's making me happy tonight. I hope it's making you happy. But jury's out. Jury's out. That's and that that is fair. But when did you listener don't get it twisted john power is as close to me as i am to him okay he's a treasured boy 
and I love him dearly, and I also love him so much that I'm about to embarrass him. John, when I first met him, listeners, and Sean. Bring it. He, he, you're hearing him talk like a person right now. You're hearing him talk like a person at home. John, when I met him, I'm going to say talked like. Is this, is this uh, theater? An, a, excuse me. Excuse me. Wait, Thank I just, before, before you talk, I have to tell the listeners out there, I wish we were recording video because John's face is so red right now. This is amazing. I cannot wait to hear the story that's about to, about to drop. So John would talk, <laughs> a, you know, now he's speaking like a person, but, but when I first met him, when we were both in high school, uh, maybe before, maybe a little before, who cares? But he would talk like, I'm going to say, uh, an angry stork. Hmm. He would he would grit his teeth, and he wouldn't open his mouth for some reason. And he just knew that. Taylor. That's how I met John, and wow. the fact that I'm still friends with him. Oh, I just want to go. You guys imagine that all the time. It's a miracle. Imagine it all the time, and that was John, and it was truly special. And sweet, and he and loves hearing about it, and endearing. And think about your kids hearing this years later, and them starting to do, do the voice to you, <laughs> and your kids teasing you, doing the voice. I can't wait. I can't wait. I have I have a question. So yeah, you guys were in theater together. Were you doing theater on stage? Were you doing the music for theater? Like what? How how did you guys meet, and what was the role that you guys were involved with together? I would like to hear this too. I I have one distinct memory, but it was <laughs> later, in uh, like high school time. I don't. Did we met before that though? I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of. So so the the youth theater we were doing uh, goes from like when you're eight years old until you're graduating from high school. And so uh, I joined later on. I joined when I was like 12, and then I went and graduated out of it. And the thing that I'm thinking <laughs> with John was my last show. It was when I was a, a senior in high school, basically. And uh, we were in, in Peter Pan together. And John was, uh, what, was your, what was your pirate's name? I, I, my name was uh, Captain Starkey. Starkey, that's right. And I had lines where I like screamed at you. That's right. That's right. You were always beating me. I so totally you were, forgot about that. You were 12 or in 12th grade at that time? We were both like seniors in high school at that time. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's a, that's a tough time. I definitely was speaking like that though. I wasn't joking when I introduced you as the maestro of San Diego. You are <laughs> well known across the county for being somebody who can, who can handle what what is that thing that you flick as a conductor? It's called the baton. The baton. You are a man who can handle the baton. Where in the world? But at, at this point, again, let's go back even further. Before yeah. you met me, because honestly, that was just, <laughs> we can erase that right out of the memory banks. <laughs> Where or when did you know that you were potentially going to take this to the next level? I don't think I knew until it was going on. I, I think I, I will say that school was uh, not a place where I thrived. 
Uh, I loved seeing my friends, and I loved goofing around and having a good time, but the grades were poo-poo. They were awful grades. I think my first semester as a freshman, I had a 2.7 GPA. Those listening at home, your face is correct. That's bad. <laughs> it's not good. <clears throat> so I knew that school was going to be a tough one for me. So I actually, even d- during high school, was uh, pursuing music and trying to uh, get involved with things outside of school where I felt more like I was being uh, more fulfilled and more gratified and more supported and validated. And, and where I f- found that was... Uh, in like sixth or seventh grade, uh, I made my way into youth theater and I started performing. And then in high school, uh, I, I knew that I didn't really want to be a professional actor. No shame to actors listening, but I just that wasn't going to be for me. So I started then uh, transitioning into playing music for the show. So I'd play piano for the shows or I would get involved with music. And, <clears throat> and I really enjoyed it. And right after I graduated from high school... It was actually my mother, Amy CP. Amy CP! What's what's up, Mom? Um, But right after I graduated, she was a school teacher for her entire professional life, and she was the first one to say, you know, you don't have to go to college. And I couldn't believe it. And so instead of uh, pursuing college, I instead kind of dove headfirst into how do I get working at these bigger theaters? How do I Mm. still advance? How do I still progress? And so I would ask everybody, I would cold email 50 people a day, just trying wow. to get time with anybody. I would cold call people if I had their phone number, just trying to get in somewhere. And <clears throat> eventually, I, I ended up getting in at uh, a theater called Lamb's Players Theater, which in Cal- California is in Coronado, California, named number one beach in America four years in a row, no big deal. And uh, so we were there, and I, I made my professional debut there. And then I started uh, interning and working at other theaters in town, theaters that are still well-regarded, the old Globe Theater, La Jolla Playhouse, places like this. And then from there, uh, I got the experience that I was looking for to where I was able to um, be involved with a show that ended up being a lot of people that were working in the Broadway scene. And uh, I worked on a show in 2012 that was called Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots. And this is an album by a a band called The Flaming Lips. Uh, Wayne Coyne is the front man of that band. And so the team that ended up putting that show together was the same team that put together Jersey Boys. And so after that show ended, uh, about a year after we closed that show, I got a call to then go on the road. And uh, I did three and a half years on the road with Jersey Boys. And then I came back to San Diego, and I did another show at the La Jolla Playhouse called Summer, which was about uh, the disco singer Donna Summer. And that ended up transferring to Broadway, and I ended up going to Broadway and uh, conducting the show in New York for about a little less than a year. Uh, And then I worked out there for a little while, and I uh, got to do the Tony Awards and all that kind of fun stuff, and the Tonight Show and the Today Show and, you know, all these kinds of fun things. And make our cast album and you know have so lucky to have the full experience of doing everything out there so so when you when you say go on the shows right that 
the nighttime television, the the Tonys. Are you going as the conductor for the group That's and, right. and receiving an award, or are you actually performing in those situations? No, the, no the, all those shows we performed on. Ah, okay. Yeah, wow. So the Today Show, I was there as kind of a music representative because the backing tracks were uh, pre-recorded, so I wasn't playing any music live, but they needed somebody there to coordinate the playback with the actors, and if they had a question about, could we hear everything, you know, they needed somebody mm. representing the music department at these places. And <clears throat> what was actually kind of fun was at the Tonight Show um, with Jimmy Fallon, the cast was performing, and the Roots were actually backing them up and playing mm -hmm. with them. And so we got to work with them, and we got to chat with the Roots about coordinating the music and everything. And then the guy who was mixing the audio for the show uh, is a guy named Lawrence Manchester, and he ended up doing our cast album. So we recorded the cast album with him, and I got to know him, and he's a really nice guy. And then I came to The Tonight Show, and I was like, Lawrence, what's going on? And he was like, hey, do you want to sit with me while I mix the show for the taping? And I was like, yes. And uh, I got to sit in his swanky studio, three floors above the uh, where all the control rooms are for SNL and for all these things. They're all up there. And, uh, and it was wild. So, yeah, we got to have the full, really even more than the full New York experience. And I'm so lucky I got to have it. Um, because now it's kind of something that I was able to do and I don't really do it, uh, full time anymore. So I actually, over the course of, uh, I, I would say both 2019 and 2020 <clears throat> kind of came to reprioritize and re-understand my life and myself and what I wanted and what I was investing in and and how I wanted to go about doing it. And just purely speaking for myself, mm -hmm. that was not going to be working in entertainment anymore. Because wow. it just wasn't something that I saw f giving back to me in the ways that I wanted it to give back to me. Mm. That I was giving, I was sacrificing so much to get, to, to hope that one day it would give back to me when I wanted it or needed it. And it didn't do that at all. <laughs> it doesn't care about you at all. So <clears throat> I was very lucky to have these really uh, rewarding creatively and artistically experiences, meet a lot of people who I still love and talk to regularly. But as far as um, keeping that at the forefront of everything I'm doing, that is not how I've got it all going now. Hmm. No, that's that's amazing. I mean, what a what a journey, what a realization. It's it's rare that uh, you have the insight to understand. Uh, I think people a lot of times get themselves in a sort of a rut. They give and give and give and give. And Sean and I have talked about this in the past, but you definitely need to know when to pull the plug if it's not giving you the joy that you need. And that's what we're always trying to understand. That's really what kind of like one of our common threads throughout this show has been understanding that, hey, these passion projects give back way more than they take from you. And it's all about the joy that you're really kind of unlocking inside through your own creative outlets. So I take it you have not just, you may not be uh, going in that direction of entertainment anymore full time, but... Uh, you've still, well, you can still lay down some amazing notes on the keys, I'm sure. And uh, are you doing any any 
uh, consistent work uh, as sort of, you know, more for you, I guess. Absolutely. And I could never be without that in my life at all. Uh, I would never totally cut that out for any reason. It's uh, It's too important to me and it gives me too much and I love it too much, you know, all these things. But but going back to what you were saying, John, about choosing things that give back to us and going back to the reason why you wanted to do them in the first place. When I came back to San Diego from New York, <clears throat> it was the very end of 2020 into 2021. And uh, about, I would say, a little more than halfway through 2021, I started seeing some actor friends of mine in San Diego going back to work and doing shows again. You know, it had been a while. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they all went back to work and they all were doing shows. And nobody, exactly zero of these actor friends of mine said, it feels so good to be performing again. It feels Hmm. so good to get to do this again. Everybody was fed up with the COVID rules, was fed up with each other, was fed up with how unfair everything felt, was fed up with this and that, and they were just so upset. Hmm. And, And later, like a month after I started hearing all these stories about friends going back to work, I got a call from a youth theater Uh, asking me if I wanted to conduct their production of The Wizard of Oz. And uh, I had some friends that uh, were the heads of uh, of that theater, and I went, you know what, if I can come in and just do the shows, I don't know if I can do all the rehearsals. You know, they rehearsed for like two months or something. But (laughs) I I think that sounds like fun. And, And you know who didn't care about the COVID rules and who wasn't arguing? about everybody around them and they were just having a blast every one of those kids yeah and i went i went this is it okay this is it and so that essence is what i'm trying to do whether Mm. that's getting together with friends in their shed in their yard to just play music just cuz or if it's uh doing a once a month uh, cabaret at a theater in Escondido just because it's fun to get together with those people and have you know play a variety of different kinds of music or if it's arranging and producing somebody's songs that they're writing in New York you know I want to do the things that are that or that hmm. are that have that at the center of them that like we're doing this because we like it you know that's yeah. all oh, I want totally. my, my friend Judith who uh, was in the uh, Donna Summer show with us, she was, uh, we had a, a call where we were catching up a little while ago, and she's an actress. She's a phenomenal singer, incredible actor, just as good as it gets. And I had heard from her, you know, she was getting tired of the same things that I was tired of when hmm. I was in New York. And she summed it up in a way that was so beautifully succinct that I've been trying to tell it to every person that I find who is going through anything related to this. She goes, I'm tired of waiting to be chosen and I'm ready to choose. 
Hmm. And that is my attitude towards the music that I want to make. That's the attitude towards the artistic projects I'm trying to be a part of. I, I'm not trying to say, hey, does anyone need a fifth keyboard sub on this show? Does anyone need me to come and take notes for a, you know, no. I want to, I just want to choose what I want to be doing. And that's turning out to uh, make me feel really uh, fulfilled, which I'm really enjoying. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing that. That is an absolutely amazing uh, outlook. And I'm glad that you and this uh, good friend of yours have had those kind of in-depth conversations about what's going on with the industry as a whole, because my brothers are sort of right there with you. I mean, this is a, this is a tough time. My, my brother, Greg, graduated in the middle of 2020 and with his musical theater degree to have nothing waiting for him. Uh, and then my other brother, Jeremy, is also struggling with this exact same situation be, between being chose by a company and, and really choosing where his path is going to be. And I think, yeah, this is, this is something that can be really tough, um, especially when we're talking about even, even relating it to your everyday job. And that's mm -hmm. something that Sean and I have, again, we've, it's been a common thread in our, in our talks and in our discussions on the show how do we choose something for ourselves that's going to bring us joy every single day? Because that's really what it's all about. This We're not out here just, it doesn't, we, this is another one of our kind of slogans, but it does not matter how much money you make. It's about finding that joy continually and being content with what you're doing every day. And so it, yeah, I I didn't realize that this is where the show would go or where the discussion would go, but this is this is awesome because I think this shows others, you know, I'm hoping that the listeners that hear this will sort of take this and really understand that hey, it's not always cracked up to what you think it may be when you get to I mean, you've done it, you've you've been it like you said that you're at the top pinnacle, you're looking at the board with that's running the SNL and all the different late, late night shows. A lot of people would say, Oh man, like that's exactly where I want to be. And yet you're choosing to go back and work with kids and find something that really, again, I mean, I get to work with my kids every day, whether I want to or not, but they're, they're fun. <laughs> <laughs> they're fun. <laughs> the one thing, the one thing I will say uh, before we go on back to your prepared questions <laughs> I um I was speaking to somebody who's really into investing and they the first thing they told me was you have to diversify. You have to spread your investments out. You have to have many things because it's so volatile and it's always changing. You have to make yourself worth more than what it is. And mm. that applies to your life. It, it just does. And I will say that although I very much support finding something that you love and something that feels fulfilling, I would encourage people listening, if your thing you love doing most is also your job, you have to diversify somewhere else. You have to get something else going on because speaking as somebody 
who had all the eggs in the same basket. And then when that basket goes away, you did the math right. You have no eggs left. Hmm. So now what do you do? And so I would encourage everybody to not put everything in the same place. Hmm. To feel yourself if you're giving all of your time in work and outside of work to the same thing. If all your friends are from the same place. If all of the videos you watch online are of the same thing. You have to diversify. Find other things. Do wow. other things. Because it's going to make your life and your mental well-being so much less dependent on that one thing. And that's gives you the best chance for a balanced and a healthy way of life, I think. Yeah, those are incredibly wise words. And something that I've also, you know, I've spent a lot of time trying to meet as many people who are, who followed the same engineering path that I did, who are now nearing retirement, who like basically asking, would you do anything different? Is there anything that you look back on, you wish you could have told your 25 year old self? And one of the big things is that they say, don't give your all to one area, try and diversify, try and get involved in other things. And the big thing I heard, and I've experienced myself, is that if you get solely sucked into one aspect of, so let's just say it's, it's playing the piano, and you get really, really good at that. And like you said, you're watching the YouTube videos and you are you know, surrounding yourself with piano players and you're, you're solely focused on that. There are different ways of thinking about the piano that you aren't being introduced unless you say started woodworking and you start woodworking. And then all of a sudden something relates from that to playing the piano. And then going from that relates to, you know, riding your bike relates to, you know, uh, volunteering and putting plants in or whatever it is, you can start to look at things differently uh, and, and all interconnected at the same time. So I think that's incredibly wise words. I think that you've said it very eloquently uh, and it's a very important lesson for people to learn, especially anybody out there who is, you know, on the younger side or just starting to get into Maybe that like middle school to high school to early college years where you're feeling the weight of the world on top of you of pick a major, pick a career, do what you want to do, like pick something that'll make you money. You've got to do that uh, diversify of your interests, your hobbies, even the people you're surrounding yourself with. Don't pick just one friend group. Try and make friends with a bunch of different friend groups that can introduce you to different things. That's very, very wise. I like that. I totally fully support that everything you said sean and one of the nicest i want i don't want to diminish it by saying nicest but one of the things that somebody said to me once that i i really it stuck with me it was pretty recently it was one of my friends <clears throat> who lives in a different state now but i still keep up with over the phone she goes i i i forgot you're you you're like taylor the music guy I don't even I don't even think about that anymore because it's not my entire personality anymore, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. that was something to where I was like, I felt so proud of that because <laughs> obviously music is still a huge part of my life and I love it and I'll never be embarrassed by it and I'll never try to, you know, distance myself from being a music person or a person who is a musician or whatever. 
But the fact that a friend who I love dearly was like, oh, yeah, I forgot you did that, I think was encouraging and let me know, yeah, I am putting other time into other things and I am diversifying like Sean was just talking about. So I would encourage, however you do it, I would encourage you, I would encourage you to do it. Yeah, Wonderful. Think, yeah, very good. Got any input, Sean? Well, before we move on to the next part of the interview, I'm going to uh, go through everybody's favorite subject in the world which is uh, how how you can reach out to us uh, here at the How to Hobby Podcast. So we we got we only have so many things. The best place to reach us and get in touch with us directly and or see all of our content is at our website, howtohobbypodcast.com. At the end of the episode, we are going to let Taylor walk through where you can find him and reach out to him directly because this insight, this understanding can be, can be gained. Well, if you want to, you don't have to do that. That's uh, I feel like, uh, give us I'm, your phone number. Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'll give you my give us your address. Social security <laughs> number. Show up. Come on, show up. The, I'm going to leave the door unlocked for a month. Everybody Let's, come over. Come on. Uh, social go. media is in work here at the how to hobby podcast. But we do have a Twitter and an Instagram. But another one of our, our favorite ways, because we're all about investing back in our listeners. So if you have direct questions, you can reach out to us at howtohobbypodcast at gmail.com. And Sean is watching those comms like a hawk. We're always looking and waiting for any questions that maybe you want to have a little bit more of a deeper discussion uh, about some of the topics we're talking about tonight. We're open to that. This is what this is about. So feel free to reach out to us. And with that, we are gonna we're gonna talk more to Taylor tonight. We're gonna get some more insight. Sean, why don't you kick us off with uh with another question here for our our oh man, what one of my favorite guests that we've had on the podcast. Thank you, Taylor. Yes. Wow. Thanks, John. Thank, thanks for being here. Um so I I haven't really told you much about my background with music, but I was, I played cello in the orchestra from eight. So fifth, fourth grade until senior in high school. Um, and I decided not to take it into college. I thought about it, but engineering was just what I gave 90, 120% of my time to. Um, so, but I spent quite a bit of time on stage and off stage, and I played with the San Diego Honor Orchestra. So we played at the Copley Symphony Hall. Um, so I got to play on there and I got to spend time backstage. And so I I have some cringy backstage stories uh, of being with the other players. And I just want to ask you if you have any good like backstage stories that you can tell on a family-friendly podcast uh <laughs> do you have any good stories of being backstage on all of these tours that you were on oh man yes but i'm i'm trying to if you want think... i can give mine first give yeah you, you go first you to... go first okay. you go first so so i think i was like 15 16 maybe at that like uh trying to be super vain about yourself and taking a bunch of pictures because that's what we did and uh i found in my google somewhere a while ago a picture of me in the bathroom of the backstage suite underneath copley symphony hall taking the classic mirror selfie 
uh, in the full tux right before we were going on stage with, I had the, I think I had a spiked kind of mohawk at that point in my life uh, with the, the class ring and I've got the tuxedo on with the tie. And I, I look back and the mirror is disgustingly dirty. And I looked at that picture Ooh. and I was like, Oh my God, how did I think this was a good idea? But I remember at the time sitting there going, that's what I'm talking about. I yeah. made it. Yeah. I made it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I've never shown that picture to anybody uh, ever. And I don't know if I ever plan to, but I do remember being, you know, sitting there, sitting in the chairs, you know, using the same bathroom as the San Diego Symphony and imagining how much history was in that suite of all of the great minds that have been together and the ridiculously talented musicians that have played there. Uh, and then getting you know to walk up the steps and walk you know on the stage, um, you know doing that four years in a row is one of the greatest experiences of high school that I had. But I still look back and cringe at the fact that I was so confident in that dirty mirror selfie that I was like, "This is gonna be this is gonna be what I'm gonna show everybody." I played here, no one's ever gonna see it. But yeah, it just I I had to share that. I don't think I've ever told anybody about that picture. So. Uh, you're welcome. And that picture sharing. is now posted on <laughs> on our the hobby? on our Instagram. <laughs> what's the website? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, Sean, that story is so good <laughs> and very relatable. So relatable that I'm thinking of an SNL sketch where they made it was basically like they would go back and forth between the kids in the dressing room talking about the drama of the show and then showing what the show actually looked like from the audience. Uh -huh. It's like noises these, off. It was set in like a middle school and these kids are going, I am feeling so un not centered. Like my acting is really, so like they're all so into themselves and they're so serious. And then they show the show. It's like the Crucible or something. And they're, they're just like, what do you think, Lady Proctor? Goody Proctor. And they suck. And it's like, it's that perspective is so funny. I okay, so this wasn't me, but there are there are so many tour stories, and I'll see if I can think of <laughs> think of any that are fun to share for the folks listening at home. But one that was, um, it was <laughs> so every so often. <laughs> maybe I'll tell these two stories. So uh, every so often. The, the the cast would be involved in something like a like a big parade in town. Like Ooh. I think we were in somewhere in Ohio and they were having this big holiday parade and they wanted the Jersey Boys to sing in the parade. So they put together this medley. They have the cast. It's all pre-recorded, of course, and they they rehearse the cast and uh, and they get out there and the, you know there's it's on TV and there are all these people in the grandstands and and they're singing and dancing and lip syncing and twirling and they're in their costumes and it's great somebody at the parade audiovisual team screwed up and they somehow sped the track up <laughs> oh lord <laughs> so i'm not kidding when it's like like it's like that for the parade i'm not kidding it goes and they're singing and they're like what the on their faces they're like what is going and they're like is it supposed to be this fast and they're like dancing around 
<laughs> but they still had to do their jobs and they still had to look cool. And, you know, the guys are supposed to be these, like, superstars. And <laughs> they just ended up falling over each other. And it was an absolute disaster. I was sadly cackling. I was laughing so hard. Sadly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure the actors weren't having fun. But it was so funny. And uh, and that feels very much like people that were ready to take themselves very seriously and then just got a bucket of paint thrown on them. My other favorite example of a story like that was every so often we would be invited to sing the national anthem, usually at a sporting oh. uh, thing. We we ended up doing uh, the, the anthem at Dodger Stadium and for a, a Warriors game in San Francisco, you know, and... Uh, during the playoffs, which was really exciting. I mean, they had flames going off the backboard, and I think that video is online somewhere. But uh, this this particular anthem was at opening day for the Washington Nationals in D.C. And so we got assigned uh, this, uh, let's call him a uh, producer, uh, to basically wrangle our group and coordinate our song and make sure we were where we needed to be and weren't, you know, straying off when we needed to be around home plate and that we were starting at the right cue and that, you know, somebody to coordinate everything with one of those headsets and a clipboard and the whole thing. So they were going to do an airplane flyover at the very end of the anthem. Home of the brave. You know how it always is. Yeah. And how they ended up doing that I didn't understand how they did it, but they have somebody, so you have to rehearse the song. This is hours before the game. You have to go to the stadium, and you have to rehearse the song around home plate probably six or seven times so they can time it, and they can back time when they tell the pilots. They have somebody on this big, giant phone that's going to the airplanes, and they can tell the pilots, okay, start your turn now, start your turn, turn the smoke on. You know, they coordinate it all from the ground. And so... Uh, we're doing the thing, we're singing, we're singing, we do it seven times, and the guy goes, okay, we got what we need, and we go, cool, awesome, this is going to be so cool. Sold out, it's like 50,000 people at, at National Stadium. So we go up to our little waiting area, we're just hanging out for two hours while people come in, and the game's about to get started, whatever. So our producer comes and finds me with uh, his clipboard, and he goes, he's already sweating by the way. This guy couldn't have been more than our age. And he goes, okay, okay, it's very important. It's very important. And already I'm like, dude, get a hold of it. <laughs> He's like, it's very important that, okay, when we get set on the field, when I point to you, you go. And I go, dude, <laughs> I can take a cue, okay? I can, <laughs> I've I done know, this before. I have... I, I know how to wear a baton. Out, when someone points to me, I'll do something. So, yeah, <laughs> we'll do it. Okay? So so he goes, when I point to you, he's freaking, already having an I don't know why he has this job. So he walks us down. We walk through all the stands. We go da back through the, like, janitorial, through the locker rooms. We come up onto the field, packed. It's so exciting. We get around home plate. We get set. And as I told you, you know, they have to back time everything to this big flyover yeah. moment. And if anything strays from the back-timed sequence, the the planes are going to fly over at the wrong time. Of like, course. This is back-timed quite a ways. More than you'd think. 
So we get set around home plate. And I hear the announcer, the PA announcer at the stadium, starting to kind of go off script a little bit. <laughs> Uh-oh. And I'm going, oh, no. Renegade. He's, he's, he's putting us behind. He's adding time to our thing because the song is not long. So everything was timed out, including his announcements. Oh. And so instead he's going, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome from a Grammy and Tony Award winning. And, you know, I really enjoyed this show when I saw it <laughs> back in 2000. And all of a sudden I see our producer's eyes just going, oh, my God, what do I? Okay, what? I don't know what to. And he brings the the headset on and he's like, I don't know what. To, what do we do? Do we wait? Do, how, how do we? How do we go? And I'm like. Okay, dude, you got to get it together because he's wrapping up. So he goes, please welcome the cast of Jersey. But the crowd goes crazy. And I literally see him, you know, remember, he was like, when I point at you, sing. And I was like, yeah, I can do it. And his finger is going all over the place, everywhere but me. He's like, uh, no, um, uh, hold on. We're just waiting. Just I'm just standing there ready to go. And this dude is having a full meltdown. Finally, after about probably 20, 30 seconds of just waiting. Oh, my goodness. He goes, okay, go. And he points to me. So we start. And this is exactly how it went. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) The players are looking up like, what? And then the and then everyone's ears reopen at like, and the rockets wreck. <laughs> so we missed the whole first half of this big anthem. The whole thing we were leading up to, they were like, "This is gonna be awesome." The airplanes, the whole thing. And then all it took <laughs> was some was, dude up in the booth just going, "I know a good joke. Would everyone like to hear it?" To like, why? Give this why guy. wouldn't I'm just? Oh my god! It was so, so you good. were you not stressed at all? This is. This is amazing. What did, what did I have to be stressed about? Uh, well, I we don't rehearsed know. The, we had done that anthem a bunch of times. I knew exactly what was going on. I wasn't singing. All you got to do is tell me when to go, and we'll go for you. But so, sadly, it wasn't my job to be stressed like this guy. Exactly. Well, and I'll, I'll say this. I think knowing you, this is one thing I will say. You have nerves of steel, and that's what it takes. I think that's what it takes. One aspect mm. to go to this next level is you've got to be able to hold, keep your cool under pressure. I mean, when you're talking about some of these situations, you've got all these variables, you've got the the planes, you've got the nervous Nelly, you know, producer, you've got, uh, I, I mean, all sorts of situations. I'm sure you could rattle 10 of them off right off the cuff. But is that really something that you felt like you had to develop over time? Or uh, have you always sort of been a very calm composed professional person i wanted to be an airline pilot uh for the a large part of the first part of my life however you want to divvy that up (laughs) a large part of the first part um and so i really came to appreciate everything about that uh way of conducting yourself of being overly trained of being overly prepared and even if the entire wing falls off, no one's yelling, no one's doing anything. We're going to solve this and we're all going to be okay. You know, I mm. loved that. And 
conducting a show, especially a, a modern Broadway show, where it's not what you think of when you think of Bugs Bunny conducting the orchestra or anything <laughs> close to symphonic, half of the job of a modern conductor is like manning a machine. There are click tracks and there's video elements that you have to make sure you time and trigger on your keyboard sometimes. There's pre-recorded elements that you have to sync up with. There's communicating with different departments and, you know, executing all these crazy things. So it's like anti-musical, a lot of it. And one wow. of the ways that I really um, equate the temperament of a modern conductor is like an airline pilot in that... Most of the time, especially when you're with a long-running show, you get it off the ground, and then you let the computer fly, and you're just kind of in the back seat until something happens. And then your pilot training kicks in, and you have to be a professional and solve the problem. Because wow. the people who are just kind of enjoying having the cool pilot outfit and enjoying getting attention at the airport... When it goes south in the air, they're not going to know what to do. Mm. And so the real professionals are the ones who, yes, a lot of the time it's just cruise control and just making sure you answer the you know air traffic control the right way and twist the knob every hour or so. But when you have to be ready for whenever anything happens, immediately reacting and judging and assessing and yes and no and that and us and no and stop and go and you know all of that and that just comes with doing it a bunch so I would say I didn't always have that temperament but whenever I started conducting shows I tried to have that temperament because I've been in pits where the conductor is losing it I was doing a show one time where the singer did not make their entrance at the right time, and the conductor did not know what to do. And I was just playing the piano. I was playing the piano, and I was watching, and I was like, "What's gonna happen?" Because <laughs> I wonder what's gonna happen here. And so, and I was just watching the conductor go, uh, "I don't, I don't know what to." And immediately, all the players are like, "Okay, well now it's up to us. So what are we gonna do?" And so me and the bass player and the drummer were like, okay, let's help him out. And so we each went like, gong, gong, gong. And the singer heard it and then they jumped in, you know, with us. So it's just funny. It's, it's preparing for the, you know, expecting the unexpected is the best way that I can try and summarize it. But I, mm. I very, very well said. It reminds me of something that I heard um, from a, a class I took in Utah a couple of years ago, there's there's two things that you said that remind me. The first was he calls it the chaos cup. So everybody has a chaos cup. Some people it's a thimble. Some people it's a 55 gallon drum. The intention is how much chaos can you handle at one point? The second that it starts to overflow is when you hit that stumbling, I don't know what to do. And you hit that panic moment. And he says, your goal in life should be to get a bigger chaos cup. No matter where you are right now, get a bigger one. And so he does, you know, he, I, I'm really interested in the tactical training and firearm space. And so he was teaching us in that class, you know, 
part of their training when they do their full on tactical training is they'll play, you know, loud rock music, really, really heavy metal while they're putting you through training. And the intention is to make it to where you can't communicate. You're in pure chaos mode. You can't hear anything. You can't see anything, but you still have to get the job done. And so his entire training is make a bigger chaos cup. So that reminds me of what you were saying is that when things go wrong, you need to be prepared to have a big enough chaos cup to not overflow. And then the other thing was a really big saying in the tactical space is you don't rise to the occasion, you fall to your training. So if Whoa. you, yeah, I, I really, really like it. It's because, you know, everyone wants to get, uh, not everyone, but a lot of people want to get a concealed carry pistol, right? The second something happens, you're not going to know what to do unless you've spent the last 10 years training on practicing mm. and, and getting prepared for it. The pilot, you know, who's flying on autopilot, and he's not trained or not taken the time to get become an expert in it. When something goes wrong, his chaos cup fills and he's gone. So you fall to your training. So if this is mm. something, and this is for the listeners and for you guys, if this is something that you want to turn into a passion and eventually into a career, you have to be willing to put the training in so that when something goes wrong, and it's never an if. I have never once met anybody, no matter what careers, whether it's music or engineering or teaching or whatever, it is guaranteed at some point something is going to go wrong. Yep. And you're either going to handle it really, really well, and people are going to respect you for it, and they're going to trust you more afterwards, or you're going to completely fail, and people are going to get really upset. So I, I really like what you said. It's all about the training and being ready for it when things kick off autopilot. Surgical. Can we get some uh, show merch for this podcast that says, get yourself a bigger chaos cup? Because I will wear yes. it daily. I will wear it daily. That's my favorite thing. Yeah. Sean. I, I think he was going to write a book or something. But I mean, he was a fan, most one of the most fantastic instructors. It was a, a TCCC, Tactical Combat Casualty Care course that I took in Salt Lake City, uh, where we were doing packing wounds and dealing with uh, gaping chest wounds and everything like that. And, you know, his thing was when you try to implement these skills, he's like, you can practice and practice and practice in a classroom. But when you're on the side of the road and you just saw a car accident, you need to grab your gear and you need to go help somebody who's got their leg chopped off in a car crash and you have to put a tourniquet on. You had better know that you are practiced and you are trained and you know how to do it. I personally always know there's more training I could do. Um, I feel like there's. I could train for the rest of my life and still not be an expert in it. But in my car, I always keep, uh, I have three tourniquets. I have uh, chest seals. I have MPA tubes. I have everything that I would need. Now, am I always ready to do that stuff? No, but I have it in case I need to be. Um, so it, it's this aspect of being ready for when things hit, when the proverbial thing hits the fan of being ready to handle it. And I, I one of the things I wanted to ask you was as a conductor, what are some of your stressful moments that you can remember when things were starting to derail and you had to rein it in? And how did you handle that and make sure that things were taken care of? There's an interesting mix as far as what types of setbacks there are and what types of things go wrong. Mm. There are things that happen where it's five minutes till the show and you don't have a drummer. <laughs> that could be something, and that did happen to us. And we held the show for as long as we could until the general manager was like, you need to start the show now, and I don't care what it sounds like. And we did, and so there's that. 
there's also other things where you're doing a show with a small band, you know, maybe four players, five players, just a rhythm section. And one of them, borderline, can't play their instrument. Just straight up can't play. I'm not looking at anybody, but I am. It was a bass player. And how you handle that is sometimes you literally have to say to them, just lay out. Just stop. <laughs> I'll take it from here. Just stop. This is causing more damage than it's worth. You know? Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and the interesting thing is there are sometimes where it's only about in that moment finding the solution that's going to keep things okay and is going to keep the the boat afloat and you can't worry about you know you say it in a professional way and you say it mm. in a way that's purely operational and is not in a way that's in any way toward that person it's just toward that team member mm-hmm. and you look back on it sometimes and you go did i say that that's kind of funny <laughs> But it's never it's never a personal thing ever. I mean, you can have personal disagreements however many times you want, but the professional leader especially is somebody who is just working operationally, managerially, and is just putting professionalism and effectiveness first and artistic uh, in my job, artistic integrity and quality assurance first. And then everything else figures itself out. So, yeah, there's any number of crazy things happen during the show. And you just have to figure it out. In fact, I recently subbed on a different tour. I've got a friend who's working on a show uh, called Come From Away, which is uh, a show about uh, a small town in Newfoundland, in Gander, Newfoundland, that on uh, September 11th, when all the planes were grounded... They had something like 38 giant airliners land at this airport in the span of, you know, five hours. Mm. And they, the town, re- like, cared for and housed and fed and just took these people in, all these strangers from different parts of the world. Anyway, awesome. so, so I, uh, I covered a vacation for one of the conductors. Uh, we were up in Calgary, Alberta. And I went up and conducted that show for a little while. And when I conducted, a lot of that show is clicked, meaning that there's a metronome track going that all the players listen to. And it's all synced up with automation in the scenery or automation in the lights or sound effects or things. And uh, and there was one um, there was one click track that I missed. And and it was one of the ones that goes on for a long time. And the next time I could get in was, you know, minutes later. And that's the thing where your adrenaline kicks and you're like, okay, we're just going to keep going. And you have to trust the players and you have to figure out how do I get back on this when I can. And you just have to take it one step at a time and just trust that the show is going to continue. You have to keep going and then solve it as you go. You can't stop and solve it and then pick back up. You kind of have to be on your feet with it. That's, you know... Things go wrong, like you're saying, Sean, all the time. So it's not being afraid of that. It's it's being prepared for that. Embracing it like a like in a nice, warm hug. Well, thank you so much, Taylor, for uh, 
for sharing tonight and uh, spending the time with us. Um, in closing, we have one more question for you. And, yeah. you know, here at the How To Hobby podcast, we love traveling. We love kind of diving into that world and, and sharing with our listeners things that have meant a lot for us at various places and times in our lives. Uh, but for, for that time when you were traveling as much as you were doing with the Jersey Boys and the various shows you've done, uh, what is, in your mind, your favorite theater and, and, and was it related to the city or just specifically the beauty of the theater? But what was your favorite theater to perform in? Ooh, there's a series of theaters in several cities. Uh, they're called the Fabulous Fox Theaters. And there's one in Atlanta. There's one in St. Louis. Um, I think there's a couple others, and I'm sorry I don't know them off the top of my head. But uh, we were in the Fabulous Fox in Atlanta, and we had no the fabulous fox in st louis i should say sorry and and there were ushers there that were maybe in their 80s or 90s and they would take you on tours of these theaters and show you every square inch of yes back here is you see that message carved into that pillar back there that was from marilyn monroe to her <laughs> bow at the time you know and all these crazy things and these ornate carvings that they did and these pieces of sculpture and and just every square inch of this place is over the top and uh and it's hard to say that there's one favorite but that's one that stands out no question there's mm. another one in dallas where they uh we played um i forget i think it was called the windspear opera house or something and uh they have a chandelier where it's got all of these little concentric circles that they can raise and lower at different heights to make different shapes in the chandelier. And so wow. what they did when we were there was they did uh, an, a Christmas tree before the show because it was around the holidays and then would go up into the ceiling for the show, you know, like at the Met. So that was another wow. fun one. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. There are a lot of crazy cool um, theaters. One of the ones that we did towards the end before we closed, before we all left the the tour was we played in Kansas City. Uh, I believe Missouri could have been Kansas, but I think it was Missouri. Um, they have an outdoor theater, uh, and it sat, I want to say, like 11,000 people. Wow. And I remember on one of the shows where I was taking notes from the audience as music director, at least once a week I would sit out in the audience and I would watch the show and take notes. And I remember sitting at the back of the house and seeing 9,000 people dancing to the thing and hearing all the actors, you know, barely being able to see them from the back because <laughs> they were so small. <laughs> that was a cool one, too. That was a fun experience, too, because we also started the show when it wasn't even dark yet. And so much of if no one's seen the show, one of the one of the trademarks of it is there are a lot of little scenes, just sh very short scenes that all go back to back. And there's all these very confined lighting areas where the rest of the stage is just dark and you can't see anything and you know it's all purposely done that way and and when the sun is shining bright on all the stage boy it looks like a different show i'll tell you <laughs> but it was it was yeah it's pretty funny. Takes it was a little pretty little bit of, away from the allure of the jersey boys a little bit it's a little bit of a different show <laughs> okay. when, when people are rolling in with 
pretzels and cheese and uh, things of cotton candy and, you know, screaming at each other. And I'm like, we're doing we're doing the show here for you. <laughs> you bought tickets. Get your so. popcorn, yeah. Yeah, that's hey. right. Well, well. Hey, you and you and you over there with the baton. Put that down. <laughs> oh man. Well, yeah. <laughs> Taylor, thank you so much for for taking the time tonight. This has really been a a joyful experience. It's been great to pick your brain. Uh and and well, I'm just I'm just happy to to know you to to be able to spend time talking with quality people like yourself is definitely something that both Sean and I love doing. And that's, again, what this show is all about. So, you know, thanks for, for taking the time. Listeners, thank you for taking the time to listen to us tonight. We hope you gain some insight into the world of entertainment, some of the good things and maybe some of the not-so-good things. Uh, and thanks for sharing those, uh, Taylor. Um, so, yeah, in closing here, do you have any... Any things you're doing that you would like people in your in the community to to know and or support before we close it close down the show? I don't want to end with a no because okay. uh, I I would love for anybody to come see anything I do, but I also am not very uh, social media active, so there's oh, not a whole lot of ways that I promote myself. But I will say that's this. Good. That John I, uh, and Sean, I really enjoyed being here with you, and uh, and I would say that something that's very unique about this particular podcast is there are a lot of people that love to give advice or love to try and inspire their listeners to do certain things or to live certain ways, but your show is called Love to Hobby. What is it? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I love to hobby. It's how, called I love to hobby. How, how to hobby. How to hobby. <laughs> how to hobby podcast. And what you're doing is by in every episode, you're walking the walk. You're practicing what you're preaching. This podcasting is a hobby. You're yeah. doing it right now. So I would very much like to applaud you for not only doing something like this in general, which takes guts and takes a lot of time and takes a lot of energy, especially maybe when you don't feel like doing it. I know that the people who are listening to this really do appreciate the time and energy that both of you are putting into this. But I also want to applaud you for doing exactly, like leading by example. You're, you're going, you know, hobbies are important and doing things you like doing just cause is important take us for example we're doing it right now so why can't you you have no reason not to we're doing it now you have no reason not to and i oh. love that and i think it's absolutely awesome I'm such a fan of you guys so thanks again for having me. wow well thank you for saying that and and my goodness couldn't ask for a, a better outro i think you should just take my job because uh i'm a <laughs> just gonna go back here we're just gonna put that segment in every episode from now on that's how we end all the shows thank you so much taylor it was perfect we didn't script that listeners we promised that was amazing yeah no that was but but thank you very much like that's that is a really big thing that john and i really wanted to do when we were talking about starting this it was just we just liked talking on the phone you know we'd call each other and sit there for an hour or two hours and just talk on the phone catch up on life and what we've been doing and 
we decided, you know, at some point, let's record this and let's see if other people find what we're talking about interesting. And so I'm glad we've gotten to a point where we can bring people like you on who can spread, you know, awareness of what you've been doing, the, the ins and outs, like John said. And, you know, it's just really amazing to get to talk to you. Pleasure's mine. Pleasure's mine. Happy to be here. Well, thank you, gentlemen. And to all you listeners out there, get out and do it. Don't take my word for it. Take Taylor's because uh, he laid it down perfectly. So keep your dial tuned to the How To Hobby wavelength. We will be here next week at our regularly slated time. And until then, we'll catch you next time on the How To Hobby podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the How To Hobby podcast. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, Please give us a like and or follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks a lot and take care.